Hey there, this is Vanessa Mio, and welcome to the Good Natured Roots Podcast, the place for the curious and soon-to-be adventurous family interested in learning about the big impact that the little hands they raise can have on the world. Sitting down with environmental professionals and enthusiasts, I have the opportunity to hear about the work that is being done in their fields and learn what people like you and I, community scientists, can do to help. I'm so happy that you're here. Today we're joined by Coral Rocky Richards. Rocky is a science communicator from London, focusing on entomology and invertebrate zoology, but mainly millipedes. The majority of her work revolves around teaching people about the fantastic and often ignored world of millipedes and showing the beauty and importance of all invertebrates that people so often scream and run away from. She had a love for all things bugs since she was tiny, but was introduced to millipedes when she was in her first year of university, when she adopted a giant African millipede named Daphne, who in absolute honesty was close to being a national celebrity by the end of her time. She started out bringing Daphne to university open days to talk to prospective students. Seeing people go from terrified to completely in love with her so quickly just by learning about her was what inspired Rocky to bring her science communication online portraying creepy crawlies in the beautiful light she always sees them in. Hello. Hi, Rocky. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, We are so excited to um, learn more about you and all it is that you do. So, just to give our listeners a, a little background about who you are and what it is that you do, um, you are a science communicator from London, um, mm-hmm. and, and you focus on entomology and invertebrate zoology, but mainly millipedes. Yeah. <laughs> so the majority of your work revolves around teaching people about the fantastic and often ignored world of millipedes and showing the beauty and importance of all invertebrates that people so, you know, people are often run away and scream when they see these animals. Yeah. Um, so you kind of want to make people more comfortable with them, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're so important and yeah. very, very easy to be less scared of. So <laughs> <laughs> so you're, uh, from what you shared, you know, your love of all things bugs, you know, you were into it since you were a child, um, but mm. you were introduced to millipedes when... It was your first year of university. Yeah. Um, and you adopted a giant African millipede. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that? Um, yeah, I was in my first year of uni and um, one of my flatmates was going to get a hamster. Mm-hmm. And I went with her and she kept looking at me. She was like, you don't like hamsters really, do you? I said, no, I do. I'm just, mm, yeah. So I, I found out there was a, a reptile center just outside of Reading, the town that we were at university in. Mm-hmm. And so we got uh, this taxi driver, Dennis, to drive us all the way out there, which was a very, very long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found 
there was a millipede in the front. She was in sort of like a makeshift zoo type thing out front, and it wasn't a great tank. Mm-hmm. And I asked, "Can I can I have this millipede?" <laughs> and the guy was like, "Yeah, of course. Yeah, she's just there." Um, and then in exchange for lowering the cab fare for getting us out there, I let Dennis uh, name her, and he named her Daphne. <laughs> and so then I had this giant African millipede at uni, and she was huge. She was about the length of my forearm from my wrist to my elbow. serious? Um, oh, my goodness. And so lovely and so gentle. She was really slow and just liked eating pears. Um <laughs> Wow. And she became a, like a little local celebrity on the campus. <laughs> Daphne oh, is millipede. Oh my goodness. So how long did you have Daphne? Um, so I had her for about four and a half years after, or five years? Yeah, about four and a half years after I adopted her. And she was already five when I adopted her. So she lived to be about nine. And what is um, the average lifespan of those? Uh, around, around 10-ish years in captivity. Okay. Um, wow. Yes, yeah, so they lived to be very, very old. So I was very proud of her. <laughs> wow. Um, so, so that was like the launch pad of what it is that you do. Um, for those of you who have not um, seen Rocky's Instagram, you have to check this out. It is <laughs> beautiful. Like, like, can you tell us more about how? I mean, just tell us a little bit more about your brand and what it is that you aim to do on your platform. Uh, so I just take uh, aesthetic photos of mm-hmm. um, bugs. So I took a picture. I think my first picture was of Daphne, and I was trying to get a picture of her because she was so long. Mm-hmm. No one could ever see all of her. She'd always wrap herself around my wrist. Mm-hmm. And because she was so dark as well, I needed a nice bright background. So I started taking pictures against my bedroom wall so that everyone could see her properly. And then lots of my friends were saying, oh, you know what she actually looks really beautiful here and I was like she is <laughs> um but it was like reassuring to see people who uh normally were a bit wary of her mm-hmm. suddenly thought she was really really beautiful in this setting mm-hmm. and you don't normally get to see uh invertebrates in that sort of setting you normally see them the typical Instagram pages are them in their tanks or in right. their natural environment where people are a bit more scared of them because they're muddy and dirty right. or whatever Right. But suddenly, if you put them in the typical Instagram aesthetic, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I started to do it with all my um, all my creepy crawlies and snails. And mm-hmm. people responded really well, which is quite nice. <laughs> awesome. So you studied invertebrate zoology. Yeah. So I studied zoology and then focused onto invertebrate zoology. Okay. Um, and can... And can you tell us a little bit more about um, what that looks like and how the science communication uh, plays a part in that? Hmm. So um, zoology as a whole, uh, my I was really lucky. I was at Reading University and they are one of the last few unis really in the UK, especially to do just zoology, which is the study of uh, animals and their evolution and all the ways they interact. Um, a lot of universities are starting to blend that into biological sciences and then you have to narrow down um but i was lucky to already have zoology and then narrowed down to just picking all my invertebrate modules Mm -hmm. uh which was great and then during that time i also spent a lot of time at the open days at the university so speaking to prospective students Mm -hmm. uh with daphne um and 
Agnes, who was a giant African land snail, <laughs> um, and just sort of introducing people to the course and to Daphne. And I found that people were sort of walking around the room, would see me there with these two giant uh, inverts and go, oh, and either the students would be very excited or the parents would be mm. excited, never both. Um, <laughs> but by the end, they both were really excited because sort of seeing them and getting to handle them and learning actively about millipedes meant that suddenly they weren't so scared because a lot of people thought that millipedes and centipedes were the same thing and you know Daphne was going to bite them or sting them somehow I don't know but this the that's what got me interested in science communication because I realized that people don't actually know that much about uh, invertebrates and that's where all their fear comes from is the assumption that all of them can sting you mm-hmm. <laughs> when not that many can um and yeah it was it was really great um Daphne was actually listed in someone's personal statement as like Mm -hmm. how you apply to get into university in the UK you have to write a personal statement Mm -hmm. and someone wrote about Daphne as their reason for wanting to attend Reading that is amazing really lovely yeah Yeah. so how because when I think of a millipede I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I live in Florida, as you know, Florida, mm. the U.S. And <laughs> we, when I think of a millipede, we have these, well, here, these tiny ones that are about an inch and a half long. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us what, what exactly, what makes a millipede a millipede? Mm. And what is it about them that, you know, you are just drawn to? Uh, so millipedes are usually long and thin and have lots of legs um Mm -hmm. some of them are shorter but they in general have lots of legs Mm -hmm. and the difference between them and a centipede is that on every single segment of their body a millipede will have two pairs of legs whereas a centipede just has one pair Mm. um centipedes are mostly carnivorous and predatory whereas millipedes for the most part, there's a couple of sneaky species, but for the most part, they're detrivores, which means they um they break down uh, rotting plant matter or any break any uh, decomposing uh, substance they can find in their soil. They're uh, pretty important. Yes, they're really important. They're the the sort of first line of cleanup before you get to the decomposers, which then break down what the millipede has broken down even further. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're so important so without uh detrivores like millipedes we we would be just surrounded by dead things mm-hmm. <laughs> they're so 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 important uh they and they also have incredible chemical defenses which really? is really yeah so a lot of them will when you pick up a millipede sometimes you find that your hands are stained red and that's um I wouldn't know that because I I didn't I don't pick up millipedes. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's it's always harmless as long as you keep it out of your eyes. Oh, okay. um, but it's just like a chemical defense that normally smells bad or tastes bad mm-hmm. uh, for whatever is trying to pick them up. But lots of them will actually secrete cyanide, um, which is incredible either in liquid or in gas. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I just think is so cool that these tiny little bumbling detrivores that just sort of march around eating leaves mm-hmm. and then it secretes cyanide <laughs> which is just wow they're, they're so cool there's so many layers to them and so they're incredible a, so can we smell it or is that yeah, something other animals um, how, how so that work? i've got two uh 
polydespin millipedes, which are flat back millipedes, which don't look like your stereotypical one, even though they're most common. They're very flat and their legs stick out to the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I open their tank, it smells like marzipan and cherries from wow. the cyanide gas that they've released, which is lovely, but I have to remind myself it's cyanide. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, I mean, so something else that um, we, because we, we spoke before, um, that there's something called a forensic entomology. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you touch on that? Yeah, so it's um, just like another reason why entomology is so important. There's so many aspects of it. So forensic entomology is using uh, insects and a wider range invertebrates to uh, solve crimes and things. So the typical forensic entomology people think of is knowing how long something has been dead for based on what uh, what invertebrates are on the dead body. So is it flies? What life stage are they in? Is it beetles? What life stage are the beetles in? Um, and then also you can get down to uh, habitat so you can tell where for example where someone's been based on the mites they found in their socks because habitats are uh, mites are so habitat specific mm-hmm. that if someone has been in like one field they might have a species of mite that can't be found in the next field over mm-hmm. uh, so it's a really really incredible way of working things out using the insects and invertebrates around us that's and that's incredible because I never would have I mean I wouldn't I, I know friends who are really into you know the crime type mm. stories and shows um, but I never would have thought that um, bugs could be used to help solve crime so that's yeah that was really really amazing so and um so we talked about a few different ways as to how someone could use entomology um, what we talked about, like the science communication, the forensic entomology. Um, could you point out to any other interesting, what other uh, areas of entomology would you say is pretty fascinating to you? Uh, I really like uh, paleoentomology, which is mm-hmm. uh, just like paleontology, but for mm-hmm. insects and invertebrates. Um, and I got into that again through a paleozoology module and basically only listening when <laughs> my lecture is talking about <laughs> bugs but there's uh, so, so much to learn from uh, not only like from marine specimens because all life came from invertebrates mm-hmm. and so their evolution is just as if not more important than that of the vertebrates and so watching how they came onto land because they came onto land uh, before the vertebrates is really really interesting and I love it um, and I got into it mostly through uh, learning about the carboniferous period where you get these giant massive insects and invertebrates so you get a giant millipede called Arthropleura who's eight foot long and it's because wow. the oxygen content was so high that they could or had to grow this massive um, and it's just so cool that all this was happening alongside the same time as um, as vertebrate evolution, but it's so often ignored or sort of looked over. So paleoentomology is a really, really interesting uh, so area. When you just to back up real quick, when you say vertebrate and evolution, we're talking about like the dinosaurs and other yeah. prehistoric so, mammals, yeah. fish okay. coming out to amphibians and reptiles. Okay, and, yeah, awesome. Um, 
really, really, really interesting. But with all entomology careers, because unfortunately people don't like to fund <laughs> the bugs, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is why we need more science communication. But the baseline is you have to be an entomologist first and then hopefully get the opportunity to specialise really heavily into these areas. That's why I was always taught, um, which is why you get such sort of specific maybe mammal scientists that specialize only in cats mm-hmm. and or you know or just bird scientists blah, blah, blah. but you get entomologists and invertebrate zoologists who specialize in this huge range of animals because they have to really because no one else is doing it mm-hmm. um so, so for those so, sorry to cut you up, but for those who don't know exactly what entomology is, we think of, I mean, when I think of entomology, I just think of bugs. But can mm-hmm. you kind of educate us on what entomology is and the proper mm-hmm. terminology to use when describing uh, mm-hmm. the animals you work with? So entomology specifically is just the study of insects, which are um, loosely uh, invertebrates who at some point in their lives have six legs it's very difficult to define an insect because they keep changing like you get caterpillars to butterflies mm. and mm. but the broad definition is six legs for an insect so that's entomology um whereas like millipedes they're not insects because they've got so many legs right <laughs> um but uh, they'll fall under invertebrate zoology. Um, but a lot of people use entomology as a catch-all term for all inverts because we like them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also need those terms like bug uh, mm-hmm. compared to insects for, for everything. I think you should be able to use bug for everything. But bug is actually a specific term to one group of insects. Um it's sort of like uh all thumbs are fingers but not all fingers are thumbs you know all bugs are insects but not all insects are bugs Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you're describing something you've seen you say i found a cool bug that's cool i like it it gets people more excited to talk about it than constantly being corrected (laughs) One question I have, because um, as I've shared with you before, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a bug person. I do mm-hmm. find them beautiful if someone else is holding them or in a picture, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but I know some people think that all bugs um, may be dirty or mm. carry like germs or diseases. Could you help like kind of clarify that and kind of mm-hmm. shed light on that? I would say um in terms of them being dirty or carrying diseases, no more so than your mammals and your birds and your reptiles there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they get a bad rep because they're, they live in the dirt right. <laughs> and they crawl around on poo and stuff. But mm-hmm. so, so do birds and so, so do yeah, mammals. They roll true. in it. You know, that um, is true. I think it's easy to assume that bugs are that way because that's where we mostly see them, like flies and stuff. Um, but yeah no more so than any other animal and as long as you're careful as you would be with uh, interacting with any other animal and always wash your hands afterwards you'd Mm -hmm. be fine yeah something that has um, sparked my interest as I am more involved in um, birding I I know I told you that I I, I love to um, watch birds Mm. is uh 
citizen science, community sciences. Yeah. Uh, I know that there is a big interest for a lot of people to contribute to science by sharing their observation, especially now during um, this time with the pandemic and people being at home and mm. just spending more t- time in their, in their yards or whatnot, or just slowing down and paying attention to nature as a whole. Um, mm. They want to contribute to uh, the research being done. So how does that look for um, entomology? Do you know of, could you share any um, like citizen science projects mm-hmm. that, that are going on with that? Yeah. So um, especially with, uh, uh, entomology and citizen, uh, community science and citizen science, it's massively reliant on people in communities to help out because it's so difficult. Like for if you're looking for a bird and you, it's much bigger and you can see it and sort of see it mm-hmm. from a lot further away. But looking for bugs on higher numbers and smaller size, you need people in their back gardens sort of pointing out, oh, hey, I found this here. And so a lot of uh, conservation trusts and science groups do uh, sort of weekends where they ask the whole country to look in their garden and count how many butterflies for example the butterfly conservation trust did the big butterfly weekend a few months ago where Mm -hmm. we were all out in our back garden for you just take an hour and you count how many and what species of butterfly you saw um and they give you like a key and stuff so you can work out what you've seen. Mm. Um, and it's really, really good fun. And it gets people really involved in it because people suddenly notice things that they had no idea were there. Because um, if you're not looking for bugs, a lot of the time you'll miss them. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, for entomology, it's so reliant on communities because we can't get into everyone's back garden. You can't... <laughs> You can't knock on someone's door and say, do you mind if I go sit in your garden for an hour and count bugs? <laughs> right. um, yeah, and so lots of species are being found to be in areas that they didn't know they recently were because people are out there looking for them in their own gardens, which is wow. really good, really good fun. So how when you said that, you know, unless you're looking for them, oftentimes you're not going to see these bugs. Mm. Um, I have a three-year-old daughter and she just, you know, she loves nature and oh. always asking questions. Mm. Um, she asked a question about earthworms one day. So I said, hmm, what can I do to, you know, kind of bring this alive for her? Mm. Um, and I was like, we should probably get a worm farm. So I mm. got a worm farm and we were, I, I went to a friend's house who had, who I knew had worms because I'm, I'm not a, a bug person, so I didn't want to have to go digging around in the yard to try and find it. But I knew that she had worms because she yeah. had a compost. Um, and as I was digging, we were digging, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" Like I really, I had no idea. I saw all types of. There was just so many bugs mm. yeah. around. Yeah, it's always what you're looking for. You won't find, but you'll end up finding something else incredible. Oh my goodness! On the way, it's just. And I thought that I would have to go really deep down to see, mm. but you, I, you really don't. No, they're, they're just right there. <laughs> Always. Uh, yeah. Beetles of all sizes, like mm-hmm. ants, like, um, what's the one I just learned about the other day? Uh, uh, earwig. 
Oh, earwigs, yes. Earwigs. Yeah, lots of people are very scared of earwigs because they were told that they're going to go in their ears or something. (laughs) Why? Why would they want to go in your ear? (laughs) But they look like they might sting how they, you know. Yeah, the fork fork on the tail. That looks a little bit scary. (laughs) Earwigs are actually, um, they get a bad rap. They're incredible mothers. They, They take care of uh they're live young for so long and it's it's incredible there's a whole documentary on the david Attenborough documentary on what incredible mothers they are <laughs> wow well if they if get sir, too much of a bad rep if sir david attenborough spoke on this <laughs> i will take the time to listen <laughs> that's so how long do they take care of their young for i've never heard of an insect doing that i'm not sure exactly how long but i know it's a lot longer than most um wow. most inverts because notably they a lot of inverts don't even take care once they're hatched out of the egg. It's sort of right. fend for yourself because right. I've just had 200 kids. Right, exactly. <laughs> Can't look after all of you. A lot of mouths to feed there. Mm. <laughs> so how like how I shared that we had a, a worm. We had a few earthworms mm-hmm. for a short period of time. You know, just observe them and then we, we let them go back to, you know, mm-hmm. do their job because we need the worms, right? Yeah. Um, what other hobbies have you seen people, I mean, you know, because our audience are mostly families, mm-hmm. um, for a family who might be interested in, you know, taking in a bug or an, mm-hmm. an insect, what advice would you have for them? Any best practices, places that they can go research for, like, guidelines of what insects you can and cannot keep? Mm-hmm. Um, I think first, yeah, the most important thing is to double check for your uh area what you can and can't keep um Mm -hmm. because some things are really common in some places and critically endangered in others um Mm -hmm. so like going out maybe you want to keep a snail because garden snails are very easy to keep and very cute and they sort of bumble around Um, Mm -hmm. but for like in the uk roman snails which are these very very big like very charismatic looking snails Mm -hmm. um are protected and you can't even pick them up um wow. i think unless to move them off the road or something mm-hmm. um so someone who thought maybe they could take home a snail a garden snail might get confused with a roman snail so definitely check what you can and can't take what's protected um and then once you decide what you want check what they need if mm-hmm. you can't find anyone saying oh i've kept snails and they needed this just read about the habitat that the animal lives in like a snail or a worm and then try to recreate that in in a tank or whatever you're keeping it in. Mm-hmm. So for snails, I would get some nice moist soil, whatever leaf litter or plant I found them on, try and move some of that inside. And then as long as they have calcium and food and water, they're good. So I just try to recreate wherever I found them, as long as that's something that I can safely and responsibly take in. Okay. Interesting. Mm. A lot of so, my um, millipedes that I, someone's asked me to care for because they couldn't, and then I've couldn't find anything about how to care for them, so I just research where they're from, and then try to recreate that, and that's generally the, the best way to do it. Interesting. Mm. Wow. Well, I'm here. I'm just taking it all in, you know, <laughs> really looking at insects in a new light. Mm. Um, Especially after what we learned about the the earthworms, 
Mm. I'm like, wow, we really, and for those of the listeners who don't know that much about earthworms, I mean, they, they say that earthworms help the, the earth breathe, right? Yeah. By how they create their tunnels and allow water and air into the, mm-hmm. into the earth. I thought that was very, mm. very interesting. I was like, wow, they're just so small, but mighty. Mm. And that uh, decomposes. So like the millipedes are detrivores, so break down the bigger things. Mm-hmm. And then earthworms and springtails and decomposers come in and break down what the millipede has broken down. So even further, and then it becomes your nice soil. So they're also super, super, super important and always so overlooked as slimy worms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so many different types i, yeah. I thought there's just one <laughs> mm. that's the thing is like uh the more people learn about them they realize that there's such massive diversity in invertebrates and it's so important because like no one would ever confuse a chicken with a bald eagle Mm-hmm. so why do people get confused so quickly between invertebrates and it's because there's just never people aren't taught about them they're just told that they're creepy crawlies and right be scared of them <laughs> which sometimes if you're from somewhere where insects can give you a really nasty sting maybe you can be <laughs> a little bit more wary but, right. especially here in the uk no excuse so to Put things into perspective. What would the world look like if we did not have these animals? Well, they're the, I think, majority of invertebrates and insects, they're the baseline for everything. Everything that uh, birds, reptiles, mammals, fish, they they all eat insects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're the baseline for it. Um, Even if a mammal doesn't necessarily eat insects like a lion won't be out hunting ants Mm -hmm. but what the lion eats will eventually have gone down to ants so if we didn't have insects we wouldn't have anything um if we like we wouldn't have plants because there nothing would be pollinated Mm -hmm. though none of us would exist because there would be nothing for us to eat regardless of pollination it you can't have this planet without having insects and invertebrates they are the absolute baseline for everything and just because they're small we always forget that which is really sad <laughs> so you um, heard that everyone when you when you're out on your walk and you see a, a small bug you should stop and say thank you you right? should you really should <laughs> stop definitely stop and say thank you <laughs> and just observe them i mean the different colors how they're shaped and you mm. know just what they're doing yeah really yeah, Incredible. especially not not just the uh, the colorful ones, right. L- little small brown ones too, <laughs> are just as important. What common issues? I mean, I know that um, with a lot of changes in habitats and the use of pesticides, mm. um, insecticides, things like that, they're uh, damaging the population to um, these insects. Could you share a little bit more about you know, some other common issues that these insects and invertebrates are facing and the work that's being done to protect them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say, especially in uh, in small suburban areas or urban areas, the 
biggest issue I see is lawns. It's oh. they 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 never exist in nature in such a way you don't get this just one species covering such mm-hmm. a massive area with n- nothing else at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are a huge, huge, huge threat to insect life and invertebrate life, um, especially when you get lawns with um, the uh, sort of weed protection mm-hmm. uh, sheet underneath them, because that stops beetles from being able, or, and moths from being able to lay their larvae in the ground and then pupate out because they're covered by the sheet or they can't get deep enough because the sheet's in the way. Wow. Um, and that you, it's things people don't think about. They think, oh, I'm creating this beautiful garden and life's going to come mm-hmm. in. But right. then they show me, and it's just this giant lawn, and I'm like, no, oh. <laughs> nothing can live there it's it's really real so one there needs to be more natural landscaping and especially native uh flora native plants because Mm -hmm. that's what your insects will feed on so if you're Mm -hmm. filling your garden with these incredible exotic flowers that would never naturally grow where you are your local insects won't be able to do anything with that um it's it's actually more harm than good um so in terms of sort of local what you can Mm -hmm. do that's something you can really help with is if you have a lawn try and mix it up a little bit I know it's difficult because lawns are easy to care for and you can sit on them and they're comfy (laughs) but if you want to do something try and find out if you can get some wildflowers that are native to your area and plant it there just sprinkle them in the lawn and they'll pop up and it's very very beautiful you get some nice flies and bees and um and then in terms of bigger scales, it's, like you said, pesticides um, in agriculture, because that's, again, like a lawn mm, yeah. crop for miles and miles and miles and miles, um, which to some insects is like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> like buffet. <laughs> but for others, they can't do anything with that. Um, and yeah. It's just putting pressure on those that have the past changed things to learn about what it is. Like it's wonderful if they're planting lots of flowers mm-hmm. or planting lots of trees, but if those trees aren't native to the area, it's not doing anything. It's all about uh, advice would you have for somebody with a, a budding interest in this in the world of entomology? <laughs> um, keep at it and don't let anyone tell you you're weird because <laughs> you'll get into it and it's such an important job and we need more people like you doing it because you're so important and so passionate and it takes a very passionate person to see something so small and think wow that's really cool um and it might be easy to get distracted and think oh maybe I'll be better off <laughs> looking at mammals or something because oh, wow. all my friends really like tigers but there's such thing as a tiger beetle oh, wow. which is I have to go look an apex predator as well and is luminous and green and shiny and runs really fast so <laughs> you know they're it. really really cool but Rocky, you just thank close, you so much cool, for taking the time out to just you know, really stop cool too. in and just <laughs> talk with us a bit about you know your, the millipedes and the world of invertebrate zoology which I think is just fascinating. How can our followers find you and the amazing pictures that you take? Thank you so much for having me. This is great. 
<laughs> so I'm on Instagram as the nice boulder, which is a Shrek reference. I'm ah! so sorry. <laughs> and I've finally given in to peer pressure. That out. And as of today, well, I'm congratulations. On TikTok to TikTok. The nice boulder I don't pose, but, but it's fun to see. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Oh well, thank you. Of course, Thank of course. You. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the near future and hearing more about the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to learn more about invertebrates with Rocky of the Nice Boulder. Forensic entomology is something that was definitely new to me. Uh, but the paleo entomology never gets old. I hope that you all um, learned something new and was able to take something from this conversation. Uh, I just also wanted to highlight how it's so important uh, for all of us to do our parts by protecting the insects um, by, uh, like Rocky said, you know, less lawn when possible and incorporating more native plants into our yards that creates a welcoming habitat for the little ones who are at the foundation of our existence. If you want to learn more and catch any notes, um, hop on over to our website, www.withvanessamio.com backslash podcast for our show notes. There you, like I said, there will be uh, the links to the resources. And of course, there's always social media for more, not only about this episode, but updates on good natured roots. Like always, I want to thank you again for taking the time to join in. Keep the learning going by visiting your local parks and supporting your local libraries and bookstore. Don't forget to share your adventures using hashtag goodnaturedroots. See you outside.